Hey everybody, thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. We are a community of people learning the way of Jesus to bless our city of Boise, Idaho and beyond. Redemption Hill is a unique place. We are a collective of micro churches that do life together throughout the week and gather on Sundays to grow, worship and celebrate what God is doing in our city. You are invited to join us Sundays at 9 a.m. at Discovery Church in Boise, where you can find the community you need in any season of your life. More details can be found at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the teaching segment from this week's Sunday Gathering. Afterwards, stay tuned for more information on how to get connected at Redemption Hill. I'm not going to lie. I was super stoked when I came in here and saw the old pulpit. I was like, heck yeah, I'm using the pulpit. It's not every day you get to use a big pulpit. And actually, I was thinking while we were singing that song um, about how God never fails. You know, there's all these photos on the wall from camps from like decades gone by and how 20, 30, 40 years ago, somebody could have been standing behind a pulpit, maybe this pulpit, and preaching the gospel, and somebody hears it for the first time, and their life has changed forever. Um, That's one thing I love about camps, and yeah, why I'm excited to preach behind the pulpit. Can you guys hear me okay? A little louder? Or is it okay? Yeah, yeah, if you guys want to, you can. Okay, so, as you guys know, we've been working through 1 John. And I kind of have personally like a microchurch bet. I like I love microchurches. I love my microchurch. I love the way it's blessed my life. When we were doing our love bombs yesterday, Marion and I both were talking about things that ways that we've been blessed really uniquely by our microchurch. So I want to encourage you to think as we work through this section of First John through the lens of your microchurch, big church as well, but also especially microchurch. So we're going to read First John. Chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 11. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Pretty simple. Um, I like the idea of the phrase loving each other a little bit better. We should love each other. You never tell your kids to stop hitting one another, right? It doesn't really fit our common language. But we should love each other. And if I like the way if you break that phrase down, we should love each other. Within our microchurches, within our communities, within our lives, there are others, people who are on the margins, who don't fit in, who I think we are called to uniquely love. Here, John is specifically talking about people who are part of the Jesus community, who he's writing this letter to. So he's commanding them to love each other. And he says that you've heard this from the beginning. So likely he's referencing Jesus's original teachings um, in the Gospels in Matthew 22, Mark 12, Luke 10, where Jesus combines the Shema and Leviticus 9:18, talking about loving your neighbor. And he says that um, the greatest commandment is the combination of those two commands to love God and love neighbor. So when they say you've heard this from the beginning, that's likely what that he's referencing. Um, but I think he's also echoing back to something even more ancient, uh, more historic. In the next verse, he says, we must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So 
He echoes back to the beginning of humanity. We were created with the intent to love, to exist in love with one another and God. I think about the picture of God walking through the garden with Adam and Eve and the original intent he had for for humanity to love exist between the Trinity and God and all of humanity. So John is echoing back to this, this thing that we were created for, that we all long for. And he gives us the example of Cain and Abel um, as what we're not supposed to do, right? Um, a brother who killed his brother um, because he was envious, because he wasn't doing something that he liked. I, I think about my relationship with my brother. My, my brother and I are pretty different people, if you know me and my brother, but we're also similar in a lot of ways. We're passionate about a lot of the same things, but we go about it in different ways. And most, a lot of you guys have kids here, right? So, you know, a lot of times your kids are like at each, other's thro- at each other's throats and you think they just might kill each other. You know, they're going at it. And my brother and I, I know over the years, have gone at it. Um, but man, I love my brother. There's one thing I would never do. It's hurt him publicly or, or trash him or come against him, right? Like, do you guys have a sibling like that where if somebody comes at your sibling, your your initial response is like defense, like this sense of deep love. And even though they have these like idiosyncrasies and these things you don't love about them, maybe these things that they do that annoy you, when somebody comes against your family, there's just like this deep sense of love. You guys know what I'm talking about? You feel that? And I think that's the kind of love that we're supposed to have for one another that John's talking about when he talks about Cain and Abel. So in verse 14, I'm just kind of working through the text here. He says, if we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. Hold on for a second. That seems like a really, really big statement, right? Like if we're able to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, then that is like verifiable evidence that we've been born again. That seems like a initially to me like a little bit of an extreme statement. Because I would think that most Christians around the world, throughout our country, if they were given a poll, an Instagram poll, like on a scale of eight to 10, how much do you love your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? It'd be a lot of seven, eights, nines, you know, it'd be pretty, pretty high score. Um, But I think, I think where my misunderstanding comes from here is the definition of, of love that John has versus the definition of love that I have and that we typically have in our culture or in our world. I feel like when I read this call to love, my first response or my first feeling is like this general disposition towards people. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, It's very easy for me to have a positive feeling, a positive disposition towards people I don't know, right? Like that's very, very easy. I think we see that in our world so commonly. Like we, we tweet about it, we, we post about it, we have political views, social views, and we equate that to our love, right? But I think for John, there is a very, very clear difference. And for Jesus, there's a clear difference. What kind of love would it take to be evidence of some kind of spiritual rebirth or regeneration? 
He goes on, verse 15. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. Here we go, verse 16. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Like that is, that's the definition of love that John's talking about here. Like he's saying, if you can find it within yourselves to love people, to love your brothers and sisters in Christ, the people you go to church with, the people who are part of this like crazy, diverse, weird Jesus community, then something's happened inside of you because that is not normal. That is not common. That is not every day. A kind of love that is willing to bleed for another, that is willing to suffer, is uncommon. The only way that someone can experience that, that someone can live in that, is if they've been born again. I know it's not easy. We all know it's not easy, right? Because the reality is, is that we're all people and we're all different. We come from different backgrounds. We have different ideas about how things should work, how things should function. We behave ourselves differently and we annoy each other, (laughs) right? Like it's so easy to get on other people's nerves. Actually this week, while I was like reading through this text, like really like feeling some like profound thoughts about, about love. I see my neighbor like walking around my garage and up to my front door and I'm like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? And I'm like, okay, wait a second. (laughs) Chill, (laughs) chill. (laughs) Remember what you were just reading. I've told you guys about this before, but I have one neighbor who's a really, really special case. We moved into the neighborhood and there were signs all over the neighborhood warning other neighbors and passersby about this one neighbor. <laughs> so it's, it's a, it is an intense neighbor, but <laughs> nevertheless, <laughs> we're called to love, right? We're called to love despite differences, despite disagreements, whether it's theological or relational, whatever it is, we're called to this deep sense of love. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Think about the way that Jesus lived, the people that he lived among. A lot of the people that he spent a lot of his time with probably, to us, wouldn't seem like the most agreeable people, right? Like, Jesus was with people who were sex workers, who were demon-possessed on and off throughout their life, fishermen, People who, like, didn't make the cut, right? (laughs) Yeah, I know. Gotta watch out for those fishermen. (laughs) People who didn't make the cut, right? Who didn't fit in, who weren't in the upper middle class, if you will. Now, there were people like, like us who were there. But it was a lot of people who would generally be considered disagreeable. Yet Jesus, not only did he, like, plan services for them. Like, he did, he did more than that. He lived with them. Like he traveled with them. He spent the best years of his life teaching with them, dealing with the annoyances of their confusion, their misunderstanding, their sin, their brokenness. And he, was, he just did it. He just loved them faithfully. And ultimately, he bled and died for them, right? Like in chapter two of 1 John, it says, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. 
He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the world. So this Jesus who shows us what real love is, the the big crescendo example of his love is this moment where he says, I'm willing to not just live for you, but I'm willing to die for you. I'm willing to suffer for you. And that's what he does. And so in this beautiful example of Jesus's life, we're given an example of what real love is. I think our world is desperate. I've been thinking the last week or so about what, in what ways is our world desperate for God? How can, how can we uncover or discover where people are desperate to find God? Because I think people are desperate. I just think a lot of times Christians are bad at interpreting that desper- desperation. We look at their, the world's desperation for God and we simply condemn it. So in what ways is the world desperate for God? And I think the world is desperately searching for God through love. I think the world wants to know. I think people want to have an experience of what love is. Love is not merely romantic, right? We think about love as romance, but we all know that romance isn't enough, right? It doesn't quite cut it through the hard times. We need more than that. We need a faithful commitment when things are hard. And when I think about people who don't know Jesus getting a taste of who God is, getting a taste of who Jesus is, man, I would hope, I would hope and pray that maybe it could be through us, through the way that we love each other, not as a general disposition of positive feelings towards someone that I see once a week, right? But as a faithful commitment to end suffering, I'm going to show up. I'm going to show up when it hurts. I'm going to show up when it doesn't smell good. I'm going to show up when I don't have the time. I'm going to show up until I bleed, right? Like that is the kind of love that the people of God are called to. That's the only kind of love that is validation of our rebirth in Christ. Verse 17, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? I think back to um, the early church and how they spent their time. They there's a, I think I've used, I use this in like every other sermon that I preach, but <laughs> there's this letter um, written in the, I think the second century by a guy named Emperor Julian, who's writing to a fellow leader. And he says, we're persecuting the Christians, but every day they're in our streets caring for our sick. This is annoying. <laughs> like that kind of love is, is what marked the early church. Oh, for that to be true about us. If we're going to love the sick in our streets, though, if we're going to love the refugees, if we're going to love the poor and the marginalized, we've got to figure out how to be able to love each other. It starts here. It starts with us. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. 
so we will be confident when we stand before God. Christians have a history of wanting to beat people over the head with truth. We believe in truth. We value truth. We love truth, and that's good. But what if the best way to show that truth was by the way that we radically loved and cared for one another? Verse 20, even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence and we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. And this is his commandment. This is it. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments will remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And, he, and we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. So earlier we referenced the Shema and Leviticus 9.18 where, where Moses commands the people of Israel to love their neighbor. Like this passage initially, that was really internal. Like the language of that is specifically internal among the people of Israel. But if you keep reading, there are also verses that begin to include not just the people of Israel, but the, the alien, the resident alien who would move into the community, who was a foreigner. But that was, all of a sudden, this foreigner, this stranger, was now a neighbor, was a brother and sister, and they were to love them as such. Jesus takes it even further and says, that we're to, he tells the story of the Good Samaritan, right? That we're supposed to love these people who are radically different than us. We're called to love our enemy. I, I, love, I love these commandments, right? They're, they're so core to who we are called to be as Christians. But these commandments can be, when we don't take them literally with the people around us, it becomes very vague, right? And it becomes this thing that we believe we're supposed to do but action is removed from. So we have, we have the positive vibes. We have the good feelings. We have positions, but we don't have people that we love. And so, yes, we're called to love our enemy. Yes, we're called to love all these people, but it begins with us. It begins in our microchurches, in Redemption Hill. We're called to radically give of ourselves and love one another. Let's pray. Father, it's such a simple thing that we're called to do. It's not a com- really a complex thing to think about in a lot of ways. You say here, and I think it was for the people that John was writing to, that this is evidence of rebirth, evidence of the Holy Spirit living in us that we radically love one another. God, I think we've seen quite a bit of that this week, actually, this weekend. We've seen people give and serve here at camp. We heard a large collection of love bombs last night, people sharing of how they've been cared for and loved by other people within this group, how we're grateful for each other. God, I pray that that love would deepen and strengthen. I pray that it would exist that would begin to include people who aren't already part of it. That through 
microchurch and different gatherings. The people who are new, who even showed up in the last year, would begin to get to experience a lot of this love. And next year, when we're here again, that we hear more love bombs of people who didn't even know each other last year. So God, I think th- this is my real, my real heart behind this, what I'm sensing creating this desire in me for. There are so many people in our city who don't know you, who are hungry for love, who have no idea what it is, and desperately need a physical, real representation of that love in their life. Students on campus, people who live in our neighborhood, middle school kids who are walking around the different middle schools and junior highs around our city. My neighbor. And so, God, I I pray. I pray for revival. Not just out there, not just in conversions, but in your people. That we would begin to embody in new, deeper, and stronger, and more beautiful ways the love that you showed us. The only way, the only way, Jesus, that I can experience this kind of love, that I can live this kind of love, is if I'm able to sit and receive the experience of love that you've given me, the way that you died for me and bled for me. So do that in us, God, as a community. I can't do that. Nobody can do that but you. So we're dependent on you. We're grateful for you. And it's in your name we pray these things. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org connection, where you can fill out the connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at redemptionboise. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.